take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. It is Wednesday. It's the middle of the week, and it is the end of the month. It is May the 31st. We are coming up on halfway through this year. And uh, kind of a small milestone for us, we hit 500 five-star reviews on Apple. If you get a chance, please click the link that is in the show description, and you can leave us a five-star review. Let's get it up to 1,000. I'd love to see that before the end of the year. And uh, it is only because you are out there sharing your opinions. Very much appreciated and a very cool kind of milestone. In fact, I found out that a family member of producer Phil was the 500th review. Very fitting, very cool for us. So, folks, it's Wednesday. Today's show is entitled Six Sad World. Many of you may remember that there was a TV program on MTV called Daria. Daria was a cartoon. She was a disaffected teen. She was a little bit older than me, I believe, if my memory serves. And Daria used to always cut away to the TV showing The Six Sad World and had to find a kind of a funny eyeball in it. And, I, and they always had wacky, you know, zany ideas about, you know, bats that were dressing up as squirrels to infiltrate the suburbs or that the uh, zombies were getting hit with jaywalking charges, the, the jaywalking dead. And it was never a real program. It was always just kind of an upside down world. It was a uh, just a quick snippet away that uh, this was back in the 90s that uh, some th- strange things could happen. We're actually living in that world right now. I don't know if there's actually bats dressed up like squirrels, but we are certainly living in a strange place that is a sick, sad world. We're going to cover a bunch of different topics about that. Before we do that, I want to say some quick uh, thank yous. I've got my coffee mug here in front of me from The Loop and Catholic Vote. They're our sustaining sponsor. They are the ones that are keeping the lights on. They have decided to sponsor our program, and you can expect some pretty interesting stuff from us. In fact, I was up very late last night working on something uh, with a potentially new producer for the show and uh, very cool stuff like neat intro videos, stuff like that, just kind of uh, upping the level. But this is catholicvote.org. You can go to their website right there. You'll see that there is a sonogram picture. They're interested in stopping abortion in this country. They're interested in faith, family, and freedom. They are currently in the middle of a million-dollar boycott campaign against the Los Angeles Dodgers for bringing on this bizarre, absolutely bizarre uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which was a uh, a group that does drag shows, but for some reason they're going to go to a baseball game. It doesn't make any sense to me. I've actually seen some pretty horrific videos that they do. Uh, they've released them on social media where there's like somebody uh, you know, simulating Jesus on the cross, and then there's some kind of weird guy doing a strip tease in front of him and doing a, a floor routine, you know, throwing legs around this. Christ figure on the cross. Really gross, really disgusting. Uh, Catholic Vote is not taking that laying down. They are going to fight all this kind of stuff. So they are fully involved in the culture war. Check out their email, uh, their email chain there. It's called The Loop. You can just pop in your email address and your zip code, and you can get information that's going to give you uh, sort of a pro-Christian worldview and advocacy and uh, all kinds of other good stuff on there, catholicvote.org. Thanks so much, guys, for, for their sponsorship. Thank you for uh, checking in with them and keeping them relevant, and they are keeping us relevant. Let's see if we can turn on the live chat here. We've got a live chat going on. I see uh, Eric is out there. We've got Mitchie Me. We've got Avs, also known as Cookie. So, folks, thanks for being with me this morning. I'm going to kick in some stories just very shortly. 
And the six sad world is for me, it's things that are upside down. I want to actually take us back a little ways into 2020. I was in a Twitter space last night until very late. If my eyes look puffy, that is why. We were up for God knows how long, far later than I should have been, one o'clock in the morning, maybe 1.30, something awful. And uh, and it ended by me thinking about how crazy these last couple years have been. I just want to do a quick reflection on there. We talked about the, the jaywalking zombies. Um, sometime in the middle of 2020, this was before the Summer of Love riots, many of you will remember our government locked down our economy. And one of the women that was in this Twitter space brought up a reasonable question. I think she said, are we actually living... Are we actually living in this timeline? Is this really what's going on? Are we looking at this world where the things that we keep seeing in the news are happening? And and my answer was, yeah, I, I guess we are. But um, it felt like we were in the beginning of a you know the prequel to a zombie apocalypse in mid 2020, and and we've just sort of gone right past that. And now everybody wakes up and, you know, uh, Amazon is delivering your packages and Netflix is kicking out new, you know, films and nobody's watching the Tiger King. Uh, But sometime in the middle, maybe uh, April, May of, you know, three years ago, we were, I was driving on the streets of Northern Virginia on my way into Washington, D.C. to do work. There were traffic signs, those big yellow signs that have the flashing, you know, single lights. And, And usually they have an arrow like get over here or construction going on. And they were saying things like stay home. You know, don't spread the virus, uh, protect your community, you know, and, and there was trash blowing. And I remember the wind had leaves going on and it was almost summer. So it didn't make sense that there were these things on the ground and it all looked totally absurd. And I felt very realistically, like I was driving through the six sad world that exists in the, the preliminary stages. And then fast forward in six months, we could have had, you know, zombies trying to gnaw on our children in the streets. That's how weird that felt. I think a lot of you remember that. And, and it's, we, it's important that we continue to remember that because I feel like our government, uh, many of the people that are running the government are hoping that you don't, um, we're coming into another presidential election cycle of god-awful situation where we're going to see primaries first and then uh, whatever happens next. And and that was the lead-up that led us there, if you remember. Uh, all of those things were happening prior to the, uh, the November election in 2020. And perhaps that is where this goes again. So we have to have a high level of awareness. I think it's really important that we reflect on this strange, sick, sad world that this, uh, that this continues to happen. And we're not out of it yet. I'm going to talk about some news stories today. We're going to talk about some Marines. This is a totally upside down story. So we'll jump right into them. Um, there, when I was growing up, Marines were always, you know, there was the old joke, uh, the, the toughest man in the world is a Marine and every Marine thinks he's that man. Um, or the toughest man in every room is a Marine and, uh, and every Marine thinks he's that man as well. I went to college with Marines. I had a, um, I had a, a member of the, the college band that I was in. And yes, I was in a band. I used to sing. So I have actually, I love the microphones for a long time. I used to always love getting kind of cool ones. They were always Shure's, by the way. This one is a Shure. Oh, look, look at this. That's my Shure microphone. If you're not watching on our Rumble channel, you're missing out on uh, me moving this microphone around this little arm I've got. But uh, uh, I've always loved them and I, and I loved Marines. And uh, my, you know, my, my buddy was a, he was a, just a physical animal. He was a great guitar player, uh, a guy named Jay Galvin. And Jay was fit and he was a shooter and uh, and he was clean cut and he was respectful and he was what you expect of Marines. And uh, and then you, you get to this world where we've got this story. 
So let's switch over here. Uh, I'm reading from the dailymail.com. And this is an article by Melissa Koenig uh, written yesterday. And there's an update on this, but uh, we're going to start with it. It just says horrific footage shows a mob of 40 teenagers jumping three Marines on a California beach before unleashing a savage beatdown on Memorial Day weekend. Um, and, and the story goes like this. The Marines were doing what you would expect Marines to do. They were actually kind of keeping the peace. They went out there and saw a bunch of kids that were setting off fireworks that had no business doing so. Um, that can be dangerous. They were being unruly. And these these Marines stepped up and said, knock it off. You know, grow up. Uh, that's I got no problem with that. If you want to step in and, and, and discipline people that need to be disciplined, you know, kids need boundaries and barriers. But in, in this strange world, uh, historically, you would have seen people just listen to them or tell them off or whatever was going to happen. But in this case, 40 people, and, and, and I would say this is a truly un-American phenomenon that, is, that has been breaking out lately, a totally un-American phenomenon to jump into these savage gang beatings where, you know, a dozen people will jump one person. Um, you know, in the 90s, in the, in the Daria world, this was unthinkable. A one-on-one, -on -one, people would have, you know, created a bubble for a fight to break out. And then you settled your differences like like men, not like grownups, but like men, uh, which was to say maybe with your fist, maybe with a, a stupid wrestling match on the ground, somebody would have to say uncle, you know, and then that was the end of it. And now in a totally bizarre world, we've got 40 teenagers beating up three young men who signed up to serve our country. I'm gonna break this down. If you, uh, if you have not seen this story, you can see it on the Rumble channel. You can see that we're on here. You can go to the Daily Mail's um, webpage, but you've got two muscular, you know, white kids with shaved heads, like just dudes that you'd expect to come out of basic training in the Marine Corps. They're they're young, they're in their 20s, and they are crouched in the fetal position while there is just this this mob. And some of them are women and some of them are young, you know, some boys, and they're jumping and kicking and they're running into this this fray, this melee, and just dropping kicks on these guys' heads. And it's the most cowardly thing that you could imagine. And it's like I said, it's decidedly un-American in my experience of being an American and being a young man in America who Wanted to get into fights, I'm sure. Like that's just that's just the way things used to work. Uh, but we've got all these paused pictures here. They're showing up on Facebook. Uh, this happened in, in San Clemente, so just north of where I used to run around. I used to jump off the train and be near that. Um, you've got this kid here. It looks like they escaped without too much uh, damage. Luckily, these kids are pretty tough. The kids being the the young Marines who are actually young men. Uh, there's a guy named Hunter Antonio who showed up on here, and uh, so he did some interviews and he literally said, "I was trying to stop them from starting fireworks because they were being unruly." So. Uh, a few seconds later, you get all these guys, these these male teens, hitting them in the back of the head. And these guys got sucker punched. They got knocked in the back of the head. They got hit to the ground. And then they just got attacked. It used to be that if you had that sort of thing happen, people would just say, you're down. I win. This thing is over. No more. That is not the case. Uh, also, if you're watching on the Rumble channel, I, I managed to steal the Daria background and I actually put it behind us here. So that's what you all are seeing out there. Um, just, you know, there's there's some comments in our chat talking about this and how this is how this is abnormal for the the experience of all these people as well. And and yes, D, you're correct. It's totally disgusting. And yet, this is the nature of it. Um, the way that it got broken up was some older folks came in and and, and uh, managed to kind of interrupt the melee, this sort of mob mentality, this, this crowd beating, you know, 40 people beating three. Totally bizarre. But when the Marines are the ones that are taking a beating on the ground, our world is upside down. And, uh, and it means our values are upside down, probably moreover. It's just not 
what you'd expect. Now, historically speaking, if you were to jump a couple of Marines like that, you should expect that about 50 or 100 Marines are going to show up at your door and they're going to explain to you the meaning of respect and they're going to turn it back at you. That was kind of the, that was the dynamic that I grew up in. It's like, you know, um, in fact, when I went to, uh, when I went to Fort Bragg, uh, I was on Pope Air Force Base for a little bit. And when I was actually welcomed onto the base, I got this really funny welcome brief by our NCOIC. And he said, welcome to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, home of the largest street gang in the world, uh, the 82nd Airborne. If I'm correct, I believe they're actually based out of there. That Somebody correct me in the chat. If I'm wrong, I believe it's the 82nd Airborne. Sometimes I get the 82nd and the 101st, the two sort of historic airborne divisions. Um, but I believe the 82nd is out of there. And uh, what he said is, you know, the NCOIC, NCOIC was explaining, if you get into a fight in, uh, you know, in Fayetteville, also known as Vietnam, North Carolina, with somebody in the army, you can expect that the the person that wins that fight is going to be the person whose friends show up first. So there is a mob mentality uh, of of people in the military, but I do think there's a lot more of a there used to be a lot more honor in this sort of thing, and and you know there's not a whole lot honorable about teenagers getting involved in a fight, but sure enough, there we are. So um, that being said, I want to kind of pivot over. And kind of just show you what I think is uh, sort of bizarre. Oh, here, let's do the let's do the the update on this too. This happened actually uh, um, late last night, early this morning on the thirty first. So that's actually today. Updated just after midnight. They made nine arrests of these people. They were able to be caught. So the Orange County Sheriff's Department um, arrested nine of the suspects. Who they're all minors. Um, you can see the pictures here. They're showing this same thing that we just saw on the other page. Uh, this is courtesy of the New York Post. Uh, but you're seeing these guys went shirtless and decided to get into this stupidity. Um, alcohol, I'm sure, was involved. It's a shame, but that is the nature of sort of young people in in uh, on a holiday weekend. It just doesn't need to erupt into this. So, folks, if you are working with your kids, there you go. There's this kid. There's this Marine. Look at this young man. Uh, just nothing on his ribbon rack. Dad's a police officer and got a pretty decent beating. Lucky they came out of it okay. We have no... Um, lasting damage. I had a friend that, that I was serving with in the Air Force that got kicked like this. In a very, very similar instance, he had a, um, someone broke a bottle over the back of his head and put him on the ground. And then, you know, a couple of cowards basically kicked him in the skull until he ended up with a traumatic brain injury. And he couldn't tell left from right. He couldn't tell cardinal directions. Really interesting challenge to do land navigation with a guy that doesn't know how to read cardinal directions. Uh, but it is a thing out there. I'm getting no, uh, notified in the chat, both by Kelly D., and former 3364, that 82nd Airborne is out of Bragg, 101st out of Fort Campbell. That's what makes sense in my head. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for the correction. And that's why you guys are uh, keeping me on my toes. In any case, what a, what a bizarre time when Marines are the ones that are taking the beat down. Uh, and in a similar way, uh, some things never do change. Uh, you know, some things are, are are in this backwards world and then in, in, in some ways, we don't actually see any changes at all. And one of those things is that the deck is going to be stacked against FBI whistleblowers. I just got this this morning. So literally, as I was preparing for the show, Kerry Pickett sent me this. Kerry Pickett of the Washington Times, one of our one of our uh, friendly writers that has been able to share some light on what's been going on with the FBI. They have a paywall there. So I had to pull this off archive.ph. A fantastic trick for you that want to read a paywall thing. If there's ever a New York Times article that you need to see because somebody's writing a hit piece about your buddies. You can go to archive.ph and you can just drop in in a, uh, a single story at a time and you'll be able to at least read one at a time. So that's what we're doing right here. Kerry um, Pickett talking about how the FBI's in internal whistleblower protocols have always been a failure. The uh, 
the article is entitled Stack Deck. Uh, this is something that we've said here. If you listen to our Monday show, you understand exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about the way that people like Garrett O'Boyle were handled. And it is, it's really, uh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting in the same way as seeing a Marine kicked on the ground, honestly. It is a gang battle of, uh, of two very un, uneven sides. And so we're going to roll down to this. I want to just kind of give you some statistics that she dug up, and I think they're worth talking about. In 2022, the DOJ received 122 reprisal cases, and that is a whistleblower alleging retaliation and reprisals for being um, a whistleblower. And full disclosure, I was one of those 122. That included 28 backlogs from the previous year, from 2021. Um, so, you know, roughly 100 brand new cases. And you won't be shocked to find that only one of those, a 0.008% finding, was uh, adjudicated by the DOJ to actually be a whistleblower reprisal. This was my experience with this process as well. I always try to bring you sort of the uh, the unvarnished truth here if we can. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that the DOJ is stacked against anyone inside the FBI that wants to come forward. Many of you are wishful and uh, desirous of, of an FBI um workforce that's going to come forward and, and, and expose wrongdoings. And, and there's just really not an incentive for that to happen. The incentive is only uh, your conscience. And some people don't have the ability to, to, to heed that type of thing because they will get crushed, as my friend Garrett said uh, so articulately in front of Congress and also on our show the other day. Um, the folks who handle these types of cases, there's a guy named Dan Meyer who is who's quoted here. I've, I've spoken to Dan Meyer. Dan Meyer was representing Steve Friend early on and you, you can see that he, he believes that the cases should be closer to 11% uh, adjudicated favorably, which is to say that there are, in fact, some false allegations. That's not fantastic. Uh, but I think it's probably actually a lot more than 11%. I think that uh, the people who are you know, making the allegations against the FBI that, that they are being retaliated against are probably actually being retaliated against. It's the kind of people that have national security clearances that are out there not looking for a problem and yet when they, they identify something, they are not treated well. Uh, Dan accurately states this goes all the way back to the Hoover years. The, the Justice Department data is only 10 years old right now. They stopped, They started tracking this thing uh, only recently. They have some stuff from, from what was going on under President Obama and uh, a little bit under Clinton. But whistleblower protection, specific, specifically for the FBI, is actually very new. Uh, some of you may not know this, but I believe the, the act was actually signed in 2016. The original Whistleblower Protection Act under Obama was done in 2012, so that was like the beginning of his first term. And then at the end of his first term, he put in this Whistleblower Protection Act, uh, signed it into law, that is. Uh, so, But it's, it's, it's actually weak. The, the FBI's protections are far weaker, significantly weaker, than the other federal agencies. And um, you know, here you go. Under President Trump, you had 98 whistleblower retaliation claims. Uh, and, and that leads us to a, a short discussion, I think, of what is the administrative state, the deep state. This was covered at length last night in our Twitter space. So if you're missing out on those, we actually had, about, I think, 800 people sitting up until uh, midnight, um, partially because we had this parody account, AOC Press, which is uh, making fun of uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and got some big notoriety yesterday, um, kind of a funny story of... of they they use parody tweets uh, that are that sound like AOC, and then also some actual AOC tweets, which are also equally ridiculous. But uh, the the parody account uh, stepped into the space and brought a bunch of people because people wanted to see uh, what she had to say. It turns out she has a very masculine voice. Not surprising to find out that uh, a male conservative is trolling 
uh, AOC. But she brings it on herself. She has that kind of high profile. Pretty funny. Um, the administrative state, though, to, to double back on this, is uh, an entity that it exists, you know, beyond the uh, the terms of any given president, beyond the, the terms of any given political party's influence in um, the White House. And so we hear things about, oh, this was, you know, uh, President Trump's DOJ did this and Biden's DOJ did this and Obama's DOJ did you know this and this and and I don't think that that's a fair assessment but I will I will caveat that with saying that I do think that there is such a thing as institutional capture we'll talk about that real quickly um, the president does not have a control of those agencies you know the president uh, so far has been able to all the presidents have been able to appoint directors when the time comes up they can a appoint a attorney general people like Eric Holder people like Bill Barr uh, people like our current one, Merrick Garland, and they can be very partisan actors. Oftentimes they are. Um, you know, we will remember that Eric Holder famously said that he was Barack Obama's wingman. That is not the way that you would see the um, the equal and apolitical sort of uh, administration of justice, but so be it. That's, that is the, the nature of the world. That is the sick, sad world that we're talking about this upside down time. Uh, but moreover, they, uh, once they have that person in, then the entities that are sitting in the upper ranks of places like the FBI and even the DOJ are institutionally, they're institutionally rigid and they've been there for a long time. Many of them have taken 15 or 20 years to get into those positions. They have an understanding of what they believe the agency is and they resist change. There's a lot of inertia in the recruiting process. And so Director Mueller was the one who, who sort of moved the FBI the way that it did. A lot of the people that are running the current FBI came in under Mueller, so they have a a, a Bush neocon idea, uh, and much of that is very, very left-leaning, strangely enough. It is not conservative at all. It's very activist, and uh, it's also promoting the FBI beyond all things. So this is why you see attacks on leftists in the same way, and it should be a problem for both people on the political left and the political right when you have those folks getting deeply involved in the politics. That institutional capture tends to lean very left, because people who work for the government overwhelmingly vote for more government. And that is a Democrat position, essentially. Anyway, all those things kind of scary stuff. It is uh, going to lead us to what has been going on in sort of the uh, the wider world. And uh, I, I can't help but always find more and more of these stories. And I'm going to continue talking about them. In this case, this is a story that we're bringing up here from the New York Post again. This is from yesterday. Uh, for if you are not watching us on the Rumble channel, you're just missing out on a fantastic picture of Joe Biden. I think I'm actually going to play it for you. It's one minute, mostly because the music is a sweet jam. It, uh, it kind of got me going this morning. So I'm going to share this with you. This is Joe Biden defending having classified papers. And then we're going to talk about why uh, James Comer, who is the chairman of the Oversight Committee, is now going to go after the FBI director. And this is just kind of a warm up to it. But uh, this jam is pretty good. Voluntarily, no one's had to threaten to do anything. Voluntarily, when every single aperture I have with the house, offices, everything, for them to come and look and spend hours searching my home, invited them. Nobody. And so, and the best of my knowledge, the kinds of things they picked up were things that from 1974 and stray papers. There may be something else I don't know. This issue to any way try to prejudice the investigations going on. 
this is not a gangster jam. This is uh, they're they're showing some text here saying uh, as they packed up my office to move things, they realized they did the job that they should have been done. Um, he's basically claiming that you know all the documents that were inside of his office were old and coming from the 70s. That's clearly not true. Uh, there was kind of a Twitter piece here talking about how he says in two breaths, one. These are old papers from the 70s. And then two, um, he has no idea what was in the papers. So how, how can he make those claims? Anyway, it's a classic Joe Biden uh, sort of making it up as he goes. This is a uh, standard Joe Biden move. It turns out he just opines. Uh, he's happy to lie with a straight face to the American people. And uh, and I, I disagree with all of his characterizations there. What, what this is getting at is that uh, over the last three, four weeks, there has been a news story talking about a source report that the FBI has an FD-1023, which if you follow the show, you've already heard about this in long form. You have to go back a little ways and find out. But uh, I'll give you the short caption version. An FD-1023 is a similar document to a an FD-302. Most people are now becoming experts on FBI file types. The 302 documents any testimonial experience. You use them to document an arrest. Generally speaking, people are familiar with them from documenting an interview. If you ever give an interview to the FBI, they will write up a FD-302, and that 302 will serve as the record. They don't use recordings, generally speaking, unless they're people like me or Steve Friend. Um, it's not very common. So the 302 characterizes what was said during the interview by the lead agent who writes that 302. And an FD-1023, is the same sort of document that documents a source contact. A source known as a confidential human source by the FBI or a confidential informant. If you're a former law enforcement, that's kind of a thing. Snitches, this kind of deal. Um, the FBI has lots of different types of sources. And as we covered last night in our, our space, because I wanted people to have a, a very strong understanding. This is unvetted information that is brought in voluntarily by a human source that is reporting what they believe to be the case or information that they may have heard, information that they may have. Uh, sometimes it, it's documented and sometimes it's very, very accurate. And sometimes it's speculation, and it is up to the agent to suss that out. So this is unvetted, what we would call raw intelligence coming in. And that FD-1023 that uh, the Jim Comer's office is trying to get is a uh, alleges a scheme that the Bidens have, a $5 million bribery scheme, essentially a pay-to-play influence peddling. Now, many of us that are following this, this uh, president's term are pretty commonly understanding that that may be the case. It does appear to be the case, uh, but this would be some documentation coming from the FBI. And moreover, the question is, did they initiate an investigation based on this information? And right now, we don't have a good answer to that. It's not available to us, and it's not being uh, turned over. So there is a lawful subpoena that was issued by the Congressional Oversight Committee, of which Comer is the chairman. They asked for this particular document. Now, to their knowledge, it is unclassified. It was brought to their attention by a whistleblower. We're going to talk real quickly about what that might mean as well. Um, but the the end result was the FBI said, no, then I'm going to give you their statement. Uh, let's do the statement first. This is on Twitter. You can find this thing under the, uh, I think, the Oversight Project, which is a part of, who is that, Heritage Foundation? The Heritage Foundation puts out a lot of really good stuff under their their handle, which is Oversight, the letter P, the letter R, which is their project. Uh, and this is an, a letter responding to the request for this information, to the subpoena. It is written by the assistant director, I believe, of counterintelligence. Let's skip forward a little quickly. It is a acting assistant director. I don't even know what, it doesn't even say what division he is, but I'm assuming it's going to be counterintelligence. And it's addressed to Jim Comer. 
it's a quick letter that basically says, uh, you sent us a letter on the 24th, um, and there was a subpoena that was issued on May 3rd. So they've had a whole month to comply with this, uh, regarding requesting an unclassified FD 1023 form. And they said, we really appreciate that you want to do this sort of thing. And we'd like to, you know, acknowledge the fact that it's very important that you have this, this, um, oversight of our things that you have legitimate interests and yet we are going to also protect executive branch confidentiality and our law enforcement responsibilities and then they go on to basically say that there, there is um they they need more information they need to learn about the committee's legislative interests and specific information that they need they need to also balance those out with sources and methods that they are going to protect human sources um, that they are going to follow the attorney general's guideline for the FBI's use of confidential human sources, and so on, and so on, and so on. Uh, they said, as you know, confidential sources are critical to the FBI's ability to build cases, including those against violent gangs, drug cartels, and terrorists. I want you to notice the pivot that's right there. The FBI is being asked for a document that alleges that our sitting president was involved in a significant cash-based bribery scheme, and they pivoted to gangs cartels and terrorists it's always this this switch with the fbi it's always this we're, we're you're talking about this but we're really going to get you over here um, it happens all the time it is very very common they are going to pivot away from the things that they don't want to talk about and that is what intelligence agencies do that is why this fbi is not a true law enforcement agency if it was just simply a question of oversight um, one of the admonishments that every source gets and i'm in a position to know this because i've given these admonishments one of the admonishments that sources get when they are signed up to work for the FBI, work on their behalf, to collect information and report to them, they are told in no uncertain terms that we will do our best to protect your anonymity, that we will do our best to keep this relationship confidential, and we cannot guarantee it. The FBI does not and cannot guarantee the confidentiality of a human source. It's, it's not possible. Okay. They are unable to do such a thing because if they need to put these people into a congressional hearing, if they need to put these people on the stand in order to prove a case, that is the purpose of having most sources that are in the criminal world, then they will do so. And then they'll have to do all the things that come along with it, witness protection and so on. If there is a source and they are being asked to provide for congressional oversight, you know, an FD 1023, that may possibly, and we're using the word may, not will, that may expose that person and their identity, so be it. That should be very, very simple. And the congressional oversight is not necessarily for the DOJ to understand. Now, if the president comes out and says something and we have this co-equal branch of government that is going to be fighting, then that leaves it up to the courts. But as it stands right now, we have, a, we have an executive agency that is rebelling against the, the co-equal branch of government that has responsibilities for funding. Here's why they do it. There's no money behind the mouth of the people in Congress. So we are going to have to see how well they push this sort of thing forward. Um, this document, which I'm just leaving on the screen here, but uh, it, it is not, I think the other thing is it's not even, it's not even signed by the director of the FBI. So we have the ranking member and the um, the chairman of the actual oversight on government affairs, this, this oversight committee, sending a letter over to a lower, you know, entity within the executive branch and they get not just an acting director like it's it's not even an, a, an assistant director it's an acting assistant director so for your awareness you've got the fbi director at the top below that is a deputy director that's the number two and then you have a rung of other people i'm not 100 sure who they are but they're some sort of seniors they might be like 
I don't know what they are. They're like assistant deputy directors, ADDs or something. And then beyond that, you end up with the sort of the people that run all the big branches. These are the ones that are really run the FBI. They're known as executive assistant directors. This is really gross stuff. There's so many words. And then below them is the assistant director. Assistant directors run divisions. Um, they run things like the Washington Field Office. They run the counterterrorism division. They run the intelligence division. This guy is below that position. He has stepped into that pay grade to do the job, even though he's not in that pay grade. So we have an acting assistant director. I think it's a slap in the face. Even just that alone is a slap in the face to the members of Congress that are going and uh, attempting to do oversight on a completely out of control and totally unaccountable DOJ and specifically the FBI inside the DOJ, which is always the animal on it. Uh, I'm going to switch over to a post-millennial page here. This just says breaking. This is from last night. Um, the host oversight committee holding the FBI director, Chris Wright, in contempt of Congress over the refusal to turn over Biden documents. Uh, I had somebody try to blast me on Twitter earlier today saying that uh, somehow I believe that people in the Trump administration should be ignoring these uh, subpoenas, but uh, then I have some sort of double standard. Let me be very clear. I have no double standard. If Congress issues a subpoena, even to me, and I don't want to testify in front of Congress, I'll go. I'm not telling you what I'm going to say. In fact, when they ask me to swear in, I may not do such things unless they want to swear in as well. That's a real possibility. It's probably one of the reasons why I'm not asked to testify. The, uh, <laughs> the fact that you're going to have people that are not under oath asking you questions and they are happy to lie and, and make false allegations about you and so on, it, it should make you know that this is not an honest process. However, if Congress subpoenas you, if a court subpoenas you, you need to show up. Otherwise, what they did to Steve Bannon is appropriate, but only under the following conditions. It also should have been done to Eric Holder. Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress over Fast and Furious documents, and nothing happened to him. It was a just, it was a nothing. There was no FBI team that came and arrested him. Nobody dragged him in front of them. None of this stuff happened in any way, shape, or form. So when members of one administration are given certain treatment and members of the other administration are not, and moreover, Trump's administration was targeted after the fact. Holder was actually, you know, a uh, attorney general at the time. And so he got a pass, which is very interesting because obviously DOJ runs the FBI, at least from a policy position, and clearly has the ability to shut down cases. And then you end up with an FBI that's going after the former president's people. That is the banana republic. That is the sick, sad world. That's the upside down that we would not have lived in otherwise. And now we have the FBI director being held in contempt and very, very similarly to the way that um, Eric Gard what's his name, Eric Holder was. Bad stuff happens when government is not accountable, and specifically when government when government uh, officials who are currently in the role are not accountable. That's the two-tiered system, as, as uh, Jigsaw just said in the chat. It is what happens when you have a double standard, and American people can see that, and they lose respect for the institutions. If you could lose any more respect for the FBI right now, you probably will. So one of the things that we were doing because of this, uh, this breaking news last night is I had some people, I don't want to say names, uh, but... Uh, Let's just say people whose names you would recognize reached out to me and asked me, hey, where's the FBI director right now? He's supposed to be speaking at a conference in Las Vegas, and we don't see him. There are other people, former members of the FBI. I guess David Bowditch was there, uh, who is the former deputy director. Again, that's the number two, just underneath Chris Ray. And uh, Bowditch seemed like he was always kind of a decent guy. I met him uh, twice in an airport. 
in the, on our way back from Portland and he had a good sense of humor and he was carrying a gun and he's a big guy and you know he looked like what you'd expect an FBI agent to look like he might have been the last deputy director that had any any stones um you know he filled in this the seat of Andy McKay with a little bit of honor and and, and had a lot of respect from other agents uh, including me and then uh, he's sort of been strangely quiet since he works for Disney now I think that's sort of the way that they buy people off with very very pricey jobs in the corporate world uh, but that being said, he was in Vegas, and so Chris Ray was also on the docket. Chris Ray may still go to Vegas and speak at some kind of a counterterrorism seminar. Um, the person that I was speaking to was also supposed to speak, and they were very curious. Now, you're looking over on the screen if you're watching on the Rumble channel, and you're going, Kyle, what do you got here? I've got a map. It comes from a, uh, a website called Flight Aware, and Flight Aware is a tracking system. It takes publicly available data that is published by the FAA as required under federal law, and it puts it in a place where people like you and me can go look at it. So that's good. It's a good thing to have when you know that there's a government jet out there. And what jet are we looking at? We are looking at a jet that landed 15 hours ago in Manassas, Virginia. If you look in the top right-hand corner of this particular webpage, folks, if you're not watching the Rumble, what we're seeing is just a, a map in blue with a, a line that shows a flight path, and it goes from somewhere down in Georgia to somewhere up in Virginia. And that turns out to be Atlanta, Georgia, the Fulton County Airport, and it goes up to the Washington, D.C. area, HEF. HEF is the code for the Manassas Regional Airport, which is where I actually used to work out of. There is a, a number of FBI facilities out there, the overt ones actually have planes in them, and that's where the FBI's director jet or the Gulfstream 550 lives. You know, I'll put lives in air quotes because it's a, it's not a it's not a person, but it it hangs out at that hangar up there, and that's where it returns to. Now, one of the whistleblower allegations that we've made, we being me and um, you know the kind of the suspendables group, is that Chris Ray has been using this jet inappropriately, and it's very interesting when Chris Ray breaks pattern. I don't know what it means. We're going to have to keep an eye on this thing. We'll have to probably readdress it on Friday with the Suspendables Roundtable because I should have Garrett and Steve together in Florida, and we'll try to do a live show. If we have to tape it, we'll we'll give you a reflection on what's going on in the next couple of days. But this uh, this map shows us that he left Fulton County, Georgia. This is Chris Ray again. Uh, Fulton County is where he resides. As we've mentioned multiple times, the guy has a 10-year appointment to a government job, and he hasn't left living in Atlanta. He still lives down there on the weekends and his family's still there. And then he comes and spends a week in DC and then he goes back home. And for his convenience as a guy who lives in Washington, DC uh, during the week and who works at the FBI's headquarters on uh, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, I think it's 935 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. They, uh, if you need to send packages to the FBI, letting them know that uh, Kyle Serafin was unjustly uh, suspended and fired, <laughs> knock yourself out, send him uh, love notes. The, uh, the FBI director is able to drive from that Pennsylvania Avenue address to the Hoover Building down to Reagan National Airport in about 10 minutes or less with a security detail. It's a three-vehicle three convoy. It's all suburbans. They're all armored up like somebody in the world is going to go take a shot at Chris Ray. I guarantee you, if Chris Ray was behind you at Starbucks, one of my friends working at headquarters actually told me this, uh, nobody would know. You wouldn't know if Chris Ray was behind you at Starbucks because you wouldn't recognize him because nobody, nobody cares. Um, so that being the case... He takes this 10 minute drive down to Reagan and he's able to fly out. So what he does is he has the jet pick up from Manassas, where it's currently at, and fly into Reagan, which is about a 20 minute flight or less. It costs us a, a significant amount of money, somewhere between five and $15,000. We don't know the exact number. And every time they do that, there's a hard cost associated. And then he flies wherever he's going to go from Reagan because it's more convenient. 
That is not what happened yesterday. The the jet landed in Manassas. Very interesting. I don't know if he's feeling the scrutiny because we've reported this or if there was something else going on. But he flew in late in the afternoon to Manassas and then apparently this morning is at the FBI Academy giving some kind of a speech or talking to people and he's expected to fly out to Vegas later. So we're going to keep an eye on what he does because he is going to be uh, held in contempt of Congress and therefore the theoretically they would arrest him and charge him with that sort of thing and do the same thing they did with Steve Bannon. Now Steve Bannon actually went to jail for that. So uh, what a weird time, what a strange sort of situation to be in. Uh, those of you in the chat are saying it that uh, <laughs> this is this is not the way that we want to see the world operating, but so be it. And, uh, and Eric is recommending that you send a letter to the FBI telling them how it goes. So that's kind of funny. Uh, if you are sitting in the chat, by all means, please hit that like button. As we have said here, you can uh, like the smash button. The smash button has the thumbs up. It does help us out with the algorithms. And it also, if you want to, you can hit the follow and you'll know when we go live, which is at 830 in Texas, America. That's 930 for those of you on the right-hand side of the country, and on the left-hand side, you're probably still sleeping. So we'll catch you on the replay there. Um, let's let's get into the weirdest thing in the sick, sad world for me. We talked about people absconding. One of the concerns was last night, people were like, hey, did, did Chris Ray jump on that jet, fly to Manassas, and then jump on another jet? Because the FBI has a couple of different planes. Uh, he usually doesn't deign to get on the, uh, the 757 because that's actually meant for real work, and they load up HRT and some of the other evidence collection teams, and they fly this, this, um, this huge Boeing... Uh, they also have a Q400, which I guess is not nearly as nice. It's like a, a turboprop plane, I believe. And he can get on that, but he doesn't. So, But if he was trying to avoid the, the radar, I don't have the tail number for that Q400 at the moment. I do have the tail number for the uh, the 550, and we keep track of it many times. You can see it on my Twitter handle. But the Q400 is kind of like out of my view. And our concern was is that he had jumped on a, that plane in Manassas because there's multiple planes at that hangar and then flown to, to, to Vegas to avoid the scrutiny of being near DC, which would be a bad look to say the least. I think that would be a really nice way of saying that. Um, weirdest story of the morning for me is sometime last night, I found out that Tara Reid, who made a credible accusation, she's sort of a Me Too type figure, um, hashtag Me Too, which was the trending thing about sexual assaults of women that were being not heard. Tara Reid, who worked for Joe Biden as a senator when he was a, a senator out of Delaware, accused him during the 2020 presidential campaign of sexually assaulting her. There was some pretty interesting um, things that were happening concurrent to that allegation going back, including a phone call coming in on Larry King and, uh, and, and people that knew her at the time that said that these were statements she had made. Um, I've spoken with Tara a lot. I've spoken with her about these allegations. I've spoken to her about her politics. She is not aligned with me. She is kind of like a left, maybe a center left at best. She's obviously not a big Joe Biden fan, but I think that's a personal thing. Um, you know, she's an anti-war type. She sympathizes with a lot of socialists that have things that are um, things that are what is it? Socialists that are being persecuted by the government, and you know, I'm sympathetic to that too. I don't, I don't want to see people have their First Amendment rights infringed on. So she's kind of a, a like a real liberal, like an old school liberal in many ways. Um, but but she's not a conservative by any means, although she has been kind of brought up by the conservative media because she made an allegation against the president. So she defected to Russia sometime yesterday. She just she got on a plane and she flew to Russia, which is insane to me. And I'm going to show you why. And this is an exclusive to our show only. 
nobody else has this. I actually shared this with Tracy Beans this morning. I said, uh, hey, um, you know, I sent her this screenshot. I'm going to show you the screenshot. Okay, here it is. If you're missing on the Rumble channel, this is my personal signal account. I've redacted the phone number. That's Tara Reid's signal account. Okay, we delete messages every week. I took a shot of this because I thought it was relevant. On Wednesday, May 24th, she sent me a message at 3.37 in the morning. At 3.37 a.m. I think she was on Pacific time. She's been living in California. But uh, even so, that's 1.30 in the morning there because that's my local time. And she said, I need your help and it is very urgent and important. That is a weird message to receive from somebody on every level. And um, I, I reached back out to her in the morning at 7.10 my time. And my response to her was, what can I help you with? I'm, I'm a reasonable guy. But that's kind of intense. Uh, there was a missed call at 8.45. I called her back and didn't get her at 8.50. Um, actually, I may have actually gotten a hold of her. No, I think it says I missed that. And then she called me again this Sunday on the 28th at 9.05 a.m. And I haven't spoken to her since. When I did speak to her, and I think I did speak to her on Wednesday. I'm trying to remember what day it was. It doesn't make too much difference. Uh, as, as the uh, FBI Security Division's favorite podcast, I'm sure they can document that. Uh, this is all I intend to say about this. But uh, I did get a hold of her. I was actually talking and walking on a... Um, on a speakerphone sitting next to Steve Friend. We were in the car driving to go do work. As you guys know, I was in Houston last week. And I get her her call and she's breathless. She sounds like she's on a street corner. It sounded like an East Coast street corner just to my ear. Sometimes you know the difference between like a Los Angeles street where she might've been or, or uh, being on the other side. And uh, she could have been in DC for all I know, actually. I get this breathless phone call. I need to know if the FBI is investigating me. And I said, okay, well, I have no way to do that. I don't work for the FBI. And she says, uh, I need you to find out. And I was like, I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, you know, Tara, I don't, I don't work for the FBI and I'm not going to go digging into it. And I'm not going to ask anybody to risk their career to go find out the possibility of you. They have no nexus to it. And we actually take this kind of stuff seriously. The, the idea of need to know is a big deal. And so she was exasperated. This was a very short phone call. I don't know how many minutes it was, but it was only, you know, it was under five minutes. It was probably under three minutes. And then she hung up, and that was the last time that I heard from her. And the next thing I found out, and obviously I missed a phone call on Sunday. I don't always catch phone calls. A lot of times I'm either working, especially at 9 in the morning. I was at church. Uh, we find out this. Biden rape accuser Tara, Tara Reid defects to Russia for, quote-unquote, protection and safety. Like, what in the actual, what in the actual hell? Um, she was given a, re you can see in this picture that if you're looking on our Rumble channel, you'll see she's standing in front of a, a, a bounder or what do you call it? A, a background of uh, Sputnik News, which is a state-sponsored media coming out of Russia. Totally bizarre. She made the announcement at a state press conference in Russia, and she was standing next to uh, Maria Bettina, who was convicted uh, and said she was conspiring against the United States as a, as a, as a FAR act, which actually seemed like a pretty weak charge. But uh, she did prison time in the United States for this. So she's sitting next to what they call uh, convicted Russian spy. Uh, and this is her quote. She says, I still feel a bit in a daze, but I feel very good. I feel surrounded by protection and safety. And I, and I just really so appreciate Maria and everyone who's been giving me the time when it's so difficult to know if I'm safe or not. I'm not going to be intimidated, bullied, or silenced. I'm going to speak out, and I'm willing to speak under oath about the corruption I witnessed, about the crime I experienced. It is remarkable that Joe Biden raped me when I worked for him in the U.S. Congress, and I'm supposed to be the fugitive. That's ridiculous, and it's unacceptable. I do agree with her. It's ridiculous that she uh, felt like she had to run to another country. And so here is the Six Sad World tie-in. When somebody who came forward and 
made an allegation against our president, like we've had so many celebrated by the left uh, when, when Donald Trump was in and, and even since, when you have this person come forward and say, this is a problem, and then they have to run to Russia because they think that's the place where the United States government is not going to exploit them, is not going to extradite them. We are living in the upside down. We are watching the zombie apocalypse happening right now. I know I did a, an, an episode about the zombie apocalypse the other day and the fact that we have leftists saying the exact opposite. They are taking the talking points, spoon feeding and coming back out with them. This is the same thing to me. This is incredibly bizarre. Uh, this is so unusual. And, and once again, somebody coming out and telling you, I need your help. It's very urgent and important. I, I cannot, like, I just keep hearing that in my head over and over again. It's truly, it's truly weird. She was in D.C. for some anti-war protest. Like I said, she's a nice person. I have no idea if the FBI is investigating her. But uh, this is what happens to people who are whistleblowers. This is what peop people do in the public eye. Uh, I know Cookie, who's sitting in our chat right now, was in our space last night. And I, and I made a reference to the fact that many people who are FBI whistleblowers, many people who are federal whistleblowers against uh, powerful agencies, they snap. <clears throat> they don't make it. There's some either um, there is either some mental flaw, there is some damage, trauma, or whatever it may be that goes on. <clears throat> they're un they're unsuited to the role of being in the public eye like that. Very few people end up doing what I'm doing right here, where I'm sitting and talking to you, and I'm bringing sort of this information in a way that that I think is is credible, but moreover that I think is balanced and and um, it's not unhinged. These you know I feel incredible sadness for people like Tara. She's a really nice lady. Uh, and I have no idea whether the FBI was actually investigating her, whether it's in her head, in the world we're li living in right now, equal possibilities. It's totally feasible that the FBI is coming after her, that the FBI is investigating her to protect a president. And the reason we know that it's possible is because they're not giving over an FD-1023, which is totally irrelevant. They are protecting a confidentiality of someone who does not have a legal right to it. They have a promise of it, if possible. And we have an FBI director that is literally flying around, possibly flying around, it looked like, to uh, to avoid the scrutiny of Congress. That's strange. And now we have a woman flying to leave the United States and seeking asylum in Russia. I mean, think about the types of people. Think about when Russia is the safe option for you. It's all gone off the rails. There's no other way to say it. Nobody would go to Russia when I was a kid in the 90s when we were watching Daria on MTV. Nobody would say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave the United States. I mean, maybe Robert Hansen would have. Somebody who betrayed the country. Somebody who was convicted of espionage might try to pull that off because they might be able to go spend their money there. But not a, an American who was struggling to just you know, break even and make a living. She told me some of the struggles she had. Uh, people would look up her name when she was trying to rent homes and they would deny her because they didn't want that... Uh, they didn't want the scrutiny in their rental property of someone like a Tara Reid who had a national spectrum. Uh, my wife and I experienced the same thing. We were really concerned that when we went to go rent this house here that we are in Texas, that somebody would care. It's like, end of the day, in Texas, America, you got money to rent the house. Nobody should care. Nobody should care anywhere, honestly. Like if you have a tenant that's willing to pay and they have the, you know, the criteria to live in your home, then uh, then you rent it. But uh, Tara was was being denied. Uh, a place to live. She was always struggling. She was, you know, she's been wrecked 
And I think she used to be like a very young, pretty woman. She's obviously a lot heavier right now. She doesn't, I know she's not healthy. She's explained that to me as well. And, and like I said, I'm incredibly sympathetic that there was so much fear and there was a ton of fear in the voice. The breathlessness of the, of the call that she gave me was somebody at the end of their rope. Uh, and I don't have the ability to fix that for them. I'm, you know, my wife and I are basically kind of going day to day and making sure that we can kind of keep our heads above water in, in a lot of ways. But for someone to call, reach out where I was the last hope of being able to find out whether or not she was going to get wrapped up by the FBI. Also, it, it tells me that people don't understand how the federal process works. They don't just throw you in a gulag. Um, that only happens if you went to January 6th, I think. Um, and, and that's been obviously horrific. But if you're arrested in most areas, you're going to go have an initial processing, and then they're going to probably let you free on your own recognizance because what danger is Tara Reid to anybody? But she's in, she is in Moscow, and she's thanking the Kremlin because she believes the Biden administration targeted her to, <laughs> to do God knows what, to silence her, to protect a president, to protect, um, you know, the, the, I guess like a news cycle of this stuff. And, and you know, she's not front of news awareness. There's been a, a credible spear, smear campaign. Uh, they've been talking about how she's a Russian agent and all this other stuff. She was really worried that they were going to try to hit her with a FARA act and, um, I said, why don't you just register as a foreign agent? I don't even think it's that expensive. You know, I know Hunter Biden doesn't have to do that sort of thing, but the, the rules don't exist for both sides in the same way. And she made a she made a wild choice. I don't want to belabor it too much longer, but Tara Reid absconded from the United States, which is supposed to be the land of the free, a couple of days after Memorial Day, when we celebrate those who gave their lives for this country to keep it free, to show that... Um, we're living in this police state. We're living in this sick, sad world, and it doesn't make sense. All this stuff is going to be weird. I know you guys will be digesting this over the day. Um, by all means, hit me up in the comments on this video if you have any additional questions, if you have thoughts, if you have reflections. Maybe you can reflect on it in a way that's that's less personal than, than I can because it's so strange to be part of the story. I keep finding myself in the news stories. Um, you know, like I said, I talked to Carrie Pickett. I know that those, I'm one of those numbers of the whistleblowers that's getting crushed at. So it's just a strange time, but I know someone mentioned that's why we listen to the show. Uh, some people are praying for it. Please, yeah, play for, pray for Tara. I really, I really wish the best for her. And I, I don't know that she'll come back. She's like, now she's in a Snowden type thing. Once you're there, I can only imagine the paranoia and the fear grows because now you're there. And uh, if the FBI wants to come talk to me, listen to this podcast, that's all I had to say. If they do show up my door, folks, you can very much expect to see it on social media. I will be more than happy to stream the experience or tape it and upload it to Twitter and to Truth Social. So that will give us to a nice ending point for the middle of this week, as strange and weird as it has already become. You can follow us on Truth Social and on Twitter. The, the handle is at Kyle Serafin, K-Y-L-E-S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. Follow us at Kyle Serafin. I uh, engage in many of the things that you probably wish you could say. I like to expose some of the foolishness that we have out there in the world. Uh, we do have a pretty good time on the social media. I don't take it seriously. It's not real to me. Nobody's going to hurt my feelings. By all means, share and interact there. I like that. And uh, you can always join us in the chat at 8.30 Texas America time. And uh, you can do just like I'm seeing folks right now. we got uh, Waleche and we've got Jigsaw. We've got Avsman. We've got D. We've got... Uh, YT rules 35. We're a whole bunch of you. And of course, Eric is here every morning getting us started up. I may have to make Eric a moderator. Eric, let me know. You give me a thumbs up in there if you want to be a moderator, my friend. Uh, all of you, thanks so much for joining us. The Kyle Serafin Show is broadcast Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We try to give you an interesting take on the news. We're not always trying to break news here. We're not trying to give you the most current things. We're trying to give you a look into the way 
maybe I see the world and I think a lot of you see it as well, that there are some strange things going on and we should uh, talk about them. We should be very clear in the way that we organize our thoughts. And uh, there is a concerted and strange effort to undermine the world that I grew up in, that the United States that I grew up in, and we're now living in the United States of the sick, sad world. It's a shame, but it is our reality. Um, if you do like what you're hearing, please share it with your friends. You can do so on social media. I don't have a lot of people on Facebook, but you absolutely can do it there. You can do it on uh, Truth. You can do it on Twitter. You can do it on any of the other social platforms that I am not familiar with. Many of you know so much more than I do about that. And if you like what you hear, you can give us a five-star review. Like I said, we just crossed the 500 review mark in about six months. Pretty exceptional. I don't think that's very common for shows. It shows a lot about what you folks are interested in. And uh, I do take your feedback seriously. Some of you have told me, please stop talking over the guests. I'm working on that. I intend to give the guests even more leash and I will uh, let them have whatever say they have. Sink or swim, they'll be the ones. So let's read this five-star review. This one comes in from Alex Hogue. It was tweeted out, uh, tweeted out on Truth Social. I guess it was truthed out on Truth Social the other day by my producer, Phil. And the, uh, the title, five stars, Blockbuster Show, comes from Sunday. Liberals don't have a Kyle Serafin. We do. We have his voice and his message to energize us and show us how not to be afraid to dissent. I avow all that. I emigrated to the United States from a communist country. Dissent was criminalized during my 18 years I lived in communism. We cannot let it happen here. If America goes, where is someone like me going to go? America is it. The most exquisite experiment of freedom the world has ever experienced and a long drawn out freedom. Not a Kamala Harris freedom. This is the real word, freedom. And I agree. I agree with you, Alex. This is the last line. Much like you see, I'll sometimes wear the last line strength. The last line can mean a lot of things to us, but the last line is America on the world space. Um, I'm seeing Maria. Marie in the chat is asking where you can leave those reviews. You can find the link below, right down there in the show descriptions on Rumble. You can find them um, on the show notes if you're watching on Apple, if you're on Spotify, if you're on iHeartRadio, if you're on any of the many audio platforms that are out there. You can click through it and leave a five-star review. And if there's an episode, even if you've already left one before, you can leave another five-star review of a specific episode. It allows you to leave one for every episode, and we do them three times a week. So feel free to fill that sucker up. I'd be more than happy to read your comments on there, and you can end up on the show just like Alex Hogue. Folks, before you leave, make sure you hit the subscribe button. I would appreciate it if you wanted to follow us. You'll get updates when we go live. You'll get updates about these shows. We'll get updates about all the information that we're putting out there. Again, you can follow us. And hit the smash button. Like the smash button. We are the opposite of the Tim Pool podcast. We are the opposite of Tim Pool in real life. We say... Like the smash button. That's the thumbs up. Give us that thumbs up. It actually does boost what's going on. There's always two of you that put the thumbs down. I assume those are FBI agents. We're not mad at them. The suspendables can't be too concerned about the thoughts of the FBI. We'll catch you again on Friday. Look forward to a live show. I hope it's going to be uh, internet contingent, but a live show with Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. It'll be the first time all three of us have ever been in the same place together. I'm really looking forward to this. We've got a fun opportunity that, that, that afternoon, but in the morning, we'll join you here, 8.30, uh, 9.30 on the East Coast for a full Suspendables roundtable. And uh, we will see you then, folks. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.